Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed Him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello, I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister within the Church of God Cleveland Movement and a director of Spearwatch Ministries, an outreach providing biblical discernment in a time of deception and aid to the spiritually deceived. Our podcast is called Where Are We Going? and it seeks to supply answers to a great question a lot of people are asking these days about the direction our world is taking. Our days are increasingly shadowed by anxiety, violence, deception, and oppression at all levels and uh, of human society. And it's really difficult to understand where our world is heading. So our podcast, Where Are We Going?, is a spirit watch response that we hope will do all can to shine light and hope uh, where it is needed most in our uh, spiritually deceptive world. These podcasts will give you a solidly biblical perspective on our deceptive times of trouble. We've been covering cultism, deception, and spiritual abuse issues since we launched a little over a year ago. An upcoming podcast will touch on the other deeper issues driving these sadly all-too-visible signs of even deeper trouble in human society. And we really hope you'll keep joining us for those as well. It's easy to find our podcast on the internet at our spiritwatch.org ministry website or on Facebook using the search term Spirit Watch Ministries. Uh, links to them will be on our homepage and on our Facebook page for easy access with a couple of mouse clicks. So bookmark us and share the links with friends and family, uh, maybe your mechanic or drinking buddies. Uh, help us build our audience. We'd love to have more people stopping in. It's really been a wild ride here at Spirit Watch Ministries the past five months. We've been involved deeply in helping provide content for not one, but two documentaries about two very deceptive cultic movements active in the United States, as well as help provide assistance to the many victims and survivors of them, these being Remnant Fellowship and the Zenos Dwell Church Movement of Columbus, Ohio. We've been working on helping bring an expose to bear upon yet another abusive group based in the Midwest. We're hoping to see that come out pretty soon. In fact, in the next couple of weeks, we hope to introduce our listeners to our first reports on this group we've had the opportunity to share publicly about. There's a podcast or two certainly ahead that we're planning on releasing about this group. But a large portion of our work will be to bring a discerning light upon their own doings, and we truly can't wait to start bringing that forward as we complete our study of what we found. For now, though, as our research and vetting continues there, we want to continue with a few more interviews with survivors of the Xenos Dwell Movement, predominantly based in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Xenos is an abusive church driven by a cyto-evangelical zeal that is actually one of the most cunning guises for a deeply rooted social dynamic that's, uh, that's harmful that I've ever seen. Uh, I'm not trying to be dramatic, and I'm certainly not swinging for the fences here. It's just the way it is, and that's what I've beheld uh, personally in my time examining it. That it's, it inflicts religious abuse, 
flagrantly manipulates and exploits unquestioning college student-aged young men and women uh, by just slightly older leaders who literally play God in their lives. Uh, these people generally come to exert a micromanagement that would warm the hearts of other cult leaders all around the world. Uh, it's been overlooked and ignored by the media, the church, and the world at large for over 50 years. Uh, but thanks to the courage and determination of those who have escaped it, are, uh, they are now starting to raise a cry about it that cannot be ignored any further. Uh, Zenos's public enchantment is now fading. People are starting to look up and really ask hard questions of it. And I think that's, I think it's a good thing. Um, a day of reckoning is now coming daily for them. And, 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 uh, and as these collective voices are beginning to speak out and be heard. And, uh, here at Spirit Watch Ministries, we're just glad to have a small part in helping some of those voices be heard. And, and one of those voices is, is our guest today. Uh, she's a Xenos survivor named Nina Lombardo. And as we've had other Xenos survivors in our podcast, she graciously agreed to share her story with us as well. So Nina, uh, welcome. Thank you for coming today. Thanks for having me. Okay, great. Uh, let me read just a little bit of my introduction just a bit again. I've said that, uh, Xenos is an abusive church driven by a cyto-evangelical zeal. As actually one of the most cunning guises for a deeply rooted social dynamic that harms people that I've ever seen. It inflicts religious abuse, flagrantly manipulates and exploits unquestioning college student age men and women, uh, by slightly older leaders who literally play God in their lives and exert a micromanagement that will warm the hearts of any other cult leader around the world. Now, I just read all that back, not to repeat it, not because I'm you know, I'm proud of saying it, not because I'm, I'm, I enjoy saying it, but just stating what the truth is. So I want to ask you a question in opening. Is, is my description sounding like an overworked dramatic cliche of some sort, or am I really speaking the truth about Xenos? Um, yes, especially the last part where, you know, the, the leaders playing God in a sense, that, that's definitely what I experienced and a lot of experiences I've heard from others as well. So, yeah, I think that's accurate. Okay. Because I, I want to be sensitive to the fact that, I, you know, like I said, I'm, a, I'm on the outside looking in. I'm not a, I'm not a survivor. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. a third party, but who's not, who's not disinterested. I, I have a very, uh, very firm passion uh, for truth and, and for uh, Christian formation, being a minister. Uh, I've, I've, Christian education is my, my degree specialty, and I, and that's what I've been involved with all my life in discipleship and, when I look at a place like Xenos, I see that uh, as a as a as a runaway train with absolutely no brakes. It's something that it looks so powerful and so cutting edge, and yet it's so completely off the mark. And and, and, I, and that's what concerns me, and one of the reasons why I, I, I've listened um, uh, so closely to what people have been saying, and, and everyone's saying <laughs> pretty much the same thing. You are. It, it just just seems to be like a very very toxic environment, and I, I take no pleasure in saying that but um but as i said uh, it's it's not my testimony to that it's not my experience but it's yours so maybe you can tell them a little bit about yourself nina you know uh where you're at right now and uh no well not specifically where you are but yeah uh in terms of um you know um how's life uh um, down the road from xena's taking you uh how how'd you get involved and uh just tell us more about yourself Sure. So I am from Westerville, Ohio, which is um, a suburb of Columbus that Venus has a pretty heavy presence in. Um, it's been 10 years since I left, and um, 
since then, I've, uh, you know, just gone through my 20s, more growing, <laughs> um, dealing with medical issues, some chronic conditions that started in my early 20s. Um, I'm working as a legal assistant, paralegal now, and married, have a house, um, you know, dog, love and life, <laughs> very generally like a happy person. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I've been doing since I left, just mm-hmm. having a rather normal life, I'd say, compared to, uh, right. what it was when I was there. Um, I wasn't there, you know, as long as some people were. I, I was there in 2007 to 2012. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So you were there, uh, just five years and, and, and how did you get involved? I mean, from what I understand in some of the discussion we've had and some of the emails that, uh, I think you were, you, uh, you were not a Xenos baby, as they call them. You seemed like you were recruited. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it that drew you to, uh, to them initially? Um, I, I was hanging out with a guy friend and he just invited me to a Bible study and it was just kind of sprung on me. So I said, okay, I'll go. And I show up at this house. Um, and when I got there, one of my childhood friends from private school that I hadn't seen in like three years, she was there. And, um, so immediately, you know, I'm just like so happy that you know, she's there and we had both grown up in the Catholic church together and it was cool that, you know, there was just this kind of different, um, interpretation happening at that church or at the home church. Mm -hmm. And, um, everyone else that was there was super nice. I definitely experienced uh, some love bombing. Um, you know, I was, um, was I a junior in high school or I was going into my junior year of high school. Um, so we were, you know, all pretty young, but um, I was with that same group of people the whole time I was there. We never um, grew and split or anything like that. And they seem to have already had established really deep relationships. All of them were at each other's weddings and they, you know, participate in games recreationally and stuff like that together. And I come from like a really big Italian family. And so I guess the thing that really drew me to it at that point, just like the first time going was just the kind of like the family aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, like after the meeting was over, one of the other things too, um, I wasn't like a cigarette smoker at the time, but everybody went outside and was smoking cigarettes and all of my friends kind of smoked cigarettes. So that just made me feel like, Oh, this place doesn't like judge people or, you know, Something like that. It just seems very like they let you be who you are type mm-hmm. of a place. So, yeah. All right. All right. So it just seemed very inclusive, very friendly, very, uh, very warm. And, and, and I'm sure no doubt that, uh, you know, that there's a certain amount of, uh, sincerity to that. But, uh, but you characterize it as love bombing. Well, what does that term mean to you? It means, um, when someone, would come out um we would like when i was on the other side of it down the road um you know we would be praying for the person who was coming out to the meeting for the first time right and then once they were there we were all aware of you know what we needed to do each of us needed to 
make an effort to talk to this person. And so to me, that is love bombing. It's like everyone comes in with kind of like a little bit of an initiative. And the goal is to make this person feel like they are 1000% accepted. We love you for who you are. And we're just, we're just going to keep telling you over and over how much we love you. And, oh, we just, we love all your little quirks and we're going to make a nickname for you. Things like that. Okay. But that's not something that, uh, that, uh, sadly is, is a sustainable sentiment. It's just something that just seems to go on just to get somebody just basically, um, emotionally and socially, um, attached, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's essentially what it is. You know, love bombing is a smothering of a, of a recruit with all kinds of positive regard and joy and welcome and, 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 uh, but love bombing isn't something that goes on forever though, because it's just not, it's not insincere, uh, but it's not entirely genuine. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's something that I've seen go on in, in cultic movements as, as part of the gateway that gets people through the doorway, uh, of, of, of its, uh, of its dogma. And once you're love bombed in at that point, you know, you start wandering into the, into the, the hallway and down into the rooms. Uh, with all kinds of open doors. So, and then you start finding out things that, uh, don't easily, uh, let go of you. So, and, uh, mm-hmm. you'd mentioned that already, you know, that, that, that fact that you already started socially becoming very, very, uh, hooked in, in that. So, uh, uh, so, well, you know, but that, as I said, that wasn't a terrible thing, but, uh, um, you said you felt they're accepting people who they were and that they're being consistent, uh, with their message. So, uh, so what, what happened after that? When did you, when did you start going and start seeing things not quite adding up? I mean, what, what, uh, what happened after that? What was your so-called career path, uh, within, within Xenos? Um, so someone took me to Panera. That's like the general place they would take people to study the Bible and stuff. And, okay. um, I thought their approach to studying the Bible was cool coming from a Catholic church where it's very impersonal. This was cool that someone was wanting to like do it one-on-one time with me. And, you know, so I was open to that. But then, um, during that meeting, we, she brought up, um, sexual sins to me, um, Mm -hmm. that she had heard from other people that, I, um, you know, had been having, uh, sex with another guy in the group and that that wasn't okay. <laughs> and, um, hmm. he was kind of like a fringe member, not, you know, whatever. But anyways, um, I was just like, oh, okay. And then she showed me all these verses and said that, um, you know, when, when you like stop having sexual relationships with people that those people like they're not going to care about you anymore and they're going to go away and she was right about that (laughs) um but long story short i ended up accepting christ at the end of this meeting um and after i did that's when she told me that i should be abstinent and um she would like to meet with me on a weekly basis and that's kind of how the discipleship part of that started um I felt pretty good about it and like I said she was right when I when I became abstinent um a lot of those guys did not you know they weren't my friends anymore (laughs) because that's kind of all it was um 
so I, I did feel validated in, in that. And I will say that is a good experience I have there is that I, I did take that step and I remained abstinent during the five years that I was there. Um, and that did show me a lot about myself. Right. Um, right. When I was dating a guy in the high school group um, a little while later, he was being discipled by my discipler's husband. So if he said something to his discipler, then my discipler would kind of try to like pose questions to me to get me to like confess things. And, um, when we figured out that that was going on, um, I, I'm a person, I'm just such a people pleaser (laughs) and, um, I really wanted to get this right. And so I ended up breaking up with, with the guy because it was just too much, um, you know, with, with that pressure. Um, and I think that I was kind of being encouraged to do that as well, just to focus on myself and my walk with God and all of that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the no privacy thing was kind of, uh, weird. (laughs) Right. Well, it was certainly, you know, an intrusive thing, you know, for anyone to demand for you, uh, as a point of fellowship in order for them to say, Oh, you're, we're going to fellowship with you. If you confess, Mm -hmm. if you confess some failing, confess. And of course, in this case, since they, since you had made, you know, a, an ad, you know, an admission of being sexually active, you know, uh, and, and it certainly was something that was just so horrific to them that they had to simply get a hold of you for that. And, and, and it seems like they just kept after you, you know, I mean, it's something this is a routine line of discussion in Xenos, uh, yeah. as well as with you. I mean, I mean, like, it seems to me like inquiries into person's sex lives. Uh, they're almost like as normal as telling time there. You know, like everyone was always yeah. in everybody else's face, uh, in love, of course, you know, and, and about <laughs> what you were doing with somebody else. I mean, didn't, didn't this seem out of the ordinary at all to you at, at the time, or did you really just feel like this really was, 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 you know, the best way, really, way to really handle it? I, I just kind of felt, I guess, like, because when I did become abstinent and some of those relationships with guys that I thought were good and they just disappeared entirely, mm-hmm. I kind of felt like they were right. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. young. They probably know better. Um, right. Maybe this could be good for me type of a thing. And yeah. I was just really willing to just go all in um, with them. So, yeah, after high school, I, I moved into the ministry house. Um, and, uh, that was, and I had no idea what commitment was until I was there. <laughs> right. right. So, yeah. so, if, you know, in joining a, a ministry house, as anybody knows in Xenos, you know, that, that's a, that's when things ramp up to a whole nother level in terms of, uh, direction. So, uh, and it's, it was there, you know, that a lot of people start seeing things that they hadn't seen any other way. So what other forms of compulsive direction did your leaders impose on you uh, while you were there that you that you readily accepted, as you said, uh, but they just maybe with a little afterthought, they seemed a bit too directive. What else did you say? Um, I would say, like, well, just the ministry house in general. Um, the the uh, So when I was in high school group and they were trying to, uh, they would have us go up to the college group for, um, 
there was like one time of year they they do bring the high schoolers up for all the meetings and to hang out but this was like they were also bringing us up um to hang out at the girls ministry house because at the time we didn't have enough college girls in our college home church to have our own ministry house and so we had a girl living with another ministry house and then they were hoping when me and another girl moved up and another girl then they we'd all get a house together so I was pretty much just yeah on this path of of going up there and and all that and um yeah, it so, seemed like a very exciting time for you because it felt like you, like you said, it, it just seemed like you were starting to really belong in a more deeper way. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. New relationships, new people, felt like family. And um, the college group was, I mean, so enticing to a, a high schooler. Um, you know, they had parties. And I think I went to, like, a bachelorette party um, where people were drinking. And, you know, it, it just seemed like not – too different like than how I imagined my 20s would be like from that perspective but Mm -hmm. then once you get into the ministry house yeah there's all these rules attached um to you now that you have to follow and Mm -hmm. the further in you go I just the more hooks they get in you right right and you mentioned you know of course that anyone Joining a ministry house eventually has to enter into a, an actual agreement with, what, with what's called a house covenant. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. Um, so the house covenant just basically goes through, um, you know, your responsibilities like paying rent on time, utilities, that paragraph. And then, um, it goes into more of like what they expect of you, like, um, there's a curfew imposed, like out no later than 10 o'clock. There might be like a different curfew if you're out alone with a boy. At my house, there was. Um, there's obviously you can't engage in any sexual activity while living there. Um, no masturbation. Um, the, what else? No drug use in the house. Um, I think it also mentioned like meeting attendance. Like we did have um, a house meeting once a week. Um, there's probably things in there that just weren't written that I, it's just been so long. I apologize. I don't want to misquote the document. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, 10 years ago, but yeah, um, it's a, uh, it's a lot of stuff, but it's, um, I didn't know that we had to share rooms like it was required that we share rooms and um so there was very little privacy at all um one of my roommates got caught with having a vibrator and that's when i learned uh the reason we had to share rooms was so that nobody masturbated and that to me was a little weird um because wow we never like talked about it you know it's just um, when I signed the house covenant, every, you know, um, the leaders that were there were just like, yeah, this is great. And that's a done. Obviously presented it in a very positive light and just kind of nonchalant and, you know, oh, these are things you're already doing. Like, don't worry. But, um, 
I got kind of confused because when I had some friends over shortly after I had moved in and we were drinking, like that wasn't okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, like it wasn't okay that I was drinking in the ministry house with some friends. They weren't in Xenos. They weren't going to come out to Xenos. Um, and so I learned then that that wasn't okay. There was no like formal discipline, but you know, they just told me like I was breaking the house covenant and stuff like that. And, um, I, I did start to draw some red flags around the drinking in that church. It's just a very gray line, um, that they tiptoe back and forth on <clears throat> with underage people. So. Uh-huh. Right. Well, yeah, like, yeah. Was, you know, I, I don't want to sound like, you know, I, I really, <laughs> this isn't curiosity. This isn't something I really want to, I mean, I don't want to sound like a lawyer <laughs> by asking this question, but how in the world did they find that, that a, a woman there had a vibrator? I mean, did they confess that? Was it turned up in a search? I mean, how does that come out? I don't exactly remember, honestly. Um, I, I, I remember where it was. It was in her drawer, so maybe someone saw it, but. Um, I, I didn't think it was a big deal at all. I would have never known. Um, but yeah, so that was, that well, was weird. <laughs> it certainly is, you know, again, one of those points of intrusion that I think, um, a movement based upon, uh, modeling you, uh, modeling good behavior by controlling it. Uh, seems to really miss the mark. I mean, I, I really think that there's, there's a better way to actually handle that, uh, in, in the Christian community than just outright demanding of people whether they're having sex and what they're doing and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I don't want to get, take a, take a rabbit trail somewhere with that. But in every, in every, that's, to me, that's, to me, is, is one of the, one of the real signs that, uh, a cult really is seeking uh, control for control's sake. I, 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 if there's, you know, if there's a concern for uh, a Christian's purity and for, and for, and for, uh, the, pro- the propriety of relationship, uh, that's one thing, but it's, it seems to be something that's really, uh, entered on rather haphazardly there at Xenos. And, and we've discussed that in other episodes. I won't belabor the point here, but, uh, to me, it's, it, it's just another, you know, like I said, a very, very, uh, disquieting thing to have to hear, you know, that, that, uh, that, that people are out there within a movement of young people, uh, uh, you know, criticizing and, and surveilling one another for points of behavior that probably don't need to be doing that and rather, and rather defer that to, to, uh, you know, people who are certainly more, uh, more, uh, mature to actually be able to discuss that. I think there's just better ways to handle that than, than demand that people, hey, what are you doing to yourself at night? You know, <laughs> that's just my <laughs> humble opinion. I mean, um, and it doesn't seem that's the way it was. And you were just expected to fess up if you're asked, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, I also had another roommate that, um, I guess, struggled with pornography so they put something on her computer to monitor that um i also thought that that was pretty strange um because i just felt like aren't we all adults i thought you know this house isn't connected to the church right because they told me when i signed the covenant that the church can't take liability for all these houses and so that's why it's separate right so I I don't know I just didn't 
that that part, just all those things <laughs> really just yeah. confused me as an 18 year old. But again, I was just so willing to like give myself to this. Um, right. The woman who was discipling me was older and had kind of come off of motherly vibe. And, you know, I just was really um, going to stick with what she was grooming me for, which was leadership. And um, so after, you know, those first couple months, I, I think I just switched off something in my brain that was asking questions and just, um, mm. you know, went yeah. with it <laughs> after living in the ministry house anyway. So, yeah. so there was a point of time in which during the, uh, the, the spiritual formation your disciples putting through, you, you began getting, like you said, groomed. You're, you're put on a specific, uh, vocational path with Xenos that just seemed to be, uh, the best choice for you, for you to make. And, and, and it was, seems to be like it was, it was couched you in, in really absolute terms, right? Yeah. I, I would like to say too that, um, Venus, they believe that they will quote a passage and I forget which one it is, but they will quote this passage to everyone and tell every member that you are meant to lead no matter who you are. That's what the Bible says. You are meant to be a leader. So Mm -hmm. I mean, they wanted to groom everyone for leadership. There was, and if you weren't, then you weren't serious and you didn't need to be discipled. You didn't, you know, we wouldn't even care if you didn't come, I guess that, that would be the leader's attitude towards that. Yeah. Right. And that's a and, and that's a very common insight. I appreciate you sharing that, and that that's probably the clearest one of the clearest explanations I've heard of because because that's true. It's just something that Zenos seems to uh, pride itself in it that it's it's there to create cutting edge leaders who are going to take the church places. When instead it, it seems like uh, there's other things driving that, and that there's an actually an agenda behind it that really leads to a lot of more darker things. So uh, so really. By listening to what you're saying, there, there seems to be a concerted effort by Zeno to, to document demanded commitment to their direction. Uh, excuse me, to, to document demanded commitment to their direction by an actual form of intent they require you to sign. Everybody's entire to fill out these forms and these covenants and agreements, and that uh, you know uh, everyone's meant to, to abide by them. You know, having it on paper and signed by you kind of makes it kind of really uh, irrevocable, almost binding, right? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they would hold, they'll kick you out of the house with one day's notice, um, based on that house covenant, what you signed. You know? mm-hmm. So yeah. So um, we had a guy that got kicked out of the, the guy's ministry house. They, um, asked him to leave one night. And, um, you know, it was thankfully he had a place to go. Um, he was able to go to his parents' house, but I have heard other stories of people who haven't had places to go and, um, you know, the, the way that they manage the, the houses because they're just ran by, um, college age students who are leaders, um, <laughs> they are all ran very differently. And, um, you know, with mine, we had an incident come up where my, uh, my house leader claimed that I had owed them money for something and it turned out to just not even be true at all if she had actually read the lease that we signed. Um, and then when I corrected her, it, it just, it didn't go over well. And, um, yeah, so a lot of them just don't know what they're doing. <laughs> well, certainly sounds like, 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're living in a ministry house, if you're paying rent, aren't you being part of a lease that paying, aren't you being a contributing member to a lease? How, how can they kick you out? I don't understand that. Yeah. Well, I think they just, you're just so, um, just so law at that point that, you know, a lot of people don't think outside of, oh, well, what rights do I have? Because for me, when, the, when that situation happened to me, it was when I moved out. So I was, I was out of there. I was out of the house and I was like, I'm going to contact the landlord. <laughs> you know, you say I owe money and, do you mind if I text our landlord? Now, our landlord was also a member of Zenos, um, in the adult group, him and his wife. It was a duplex. They lived on the other side, renoed that side. And so I, I believe both sides became a ministry house at one point. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that situation was just really crazy. Um, yeah. and that was, yeah, near my, that was during my last year there. And, uh, really just showed me that, I mean, that girl that was the house leader had been a leader since pretty much I moved up to college group. And, um, yeah, she just didn't know what she was doing. And they came at me as a form of discipline for that. And uh, it was just a, a really hard situation for me to to deal with. So, well, Were you still in school at that, that last year you were there? At uh, going to college? College, I, uh, yeah, I have thoughts on that too. Um, so I was in college. Um, I eventually dropped out of college because I had all these meetings with Zenos, right? We have, um, Monday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Sunday was a meeting. I had a date night with <laughs> a boyfriend and then like one, one day to see my family working full-time, um, working a part-time job, and then going to these LTC classes on top of that. Um, and then I I got a broken ankle, had to have surgery, and so I just I had to let go of something, and I let go of, of college. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who made that decision at some point going to Zenos. Um, a lot of people that go there, students at Ohio State, and they take – twice as long to get through school because all these meetings are so time consuming and your attendance is expected always. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you have to socialize on top of that <laughs> with, you know, your ministry, your house, um, everything. So okay. I, I, yeah, that's why I dropped out of school. Right. <clears throat> right. So, and from what I understand, you know, these, <laughs> well, when you dropped out of college, before that took place, you were actually privy to what the church leaders uh, at the ministry house and the house church that you were involved with. Uh, you're, you're involved with them at levels uh, other than just regular membership, right? Isn't that what you told me? That I was in leadership training, you mean? Yeah, yeah, you were in leadership training, but even though you were never actually a leader per se, you were very, mm-hmm. at, you were very privy. I mean, you, you, you knew about, you were close uh, association yeah. with, with leaders and you knew about what was going on. Uh, with, within the ministry houses, things that uh, you wouldn't have known any, any other way. So, uh, so, 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 so tell me, how, is it because you were training to become a leader that you're able to hear about these things from them as like an on the job training type thing? I mean, it could have been. I, um, I think, 
you know, the longer you, you're there and the more they, they know, you know, you're submissive, things like that, like, they will start to share more information with you because, I mean, yeah, that also makes me feel important and I'll, I'll want to continue to stay and get invested. Um, but also there's an element of favoritism, um, that I don't think I experienced, but I, I saw like other people, um, get privileged information that weren't necessarily leaders and things like that. Um, and, uh, I think favoritism is a really huge problem in that church. It's almost like they, they skip the like character building portion right. mm-hmm. <laughs> and they go right to let's, let's micromanage and do all these steps and make sure we're checking all these boxes. We're making sure our leaders aren't in sexual sin. We're making sure they're giving money to the church. We're making sure, you know, I mean, it's not easy to become a leader there. They make you do so much, but um yeah just what character building I don't know I think they expect you to just already have it or do it in your spare time um but they don't seem very concerned with um exercises like that so no it, it certainly it certainly seems that I mean it seems like uh you know that's uh it's, it's you're, you're you're touching on something that I've heard over and over by from other people that you know that that, that, that the so-called Emphasis is on quantity and not quality. Unquote. That's, that's something, a thought, a concept I keep hearing over and over that is that, um, the discipling obsession in Xenos is so great that they're willing to do anything they can to create what seems to be a workable, uh, framework of authority, a, work, a workable framework of, of discipling. That, that, that really compels people to get with a program that supposedly pushes out, pops out, you know, it, you know, uh, gives birth to uh, all these dozens of, of supposedly seasoned disciples when really nothing like that is actually happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even like who you're studying with, like, so I would bring out a lot of people. And I never got to study with anybody, even though I'm being groomed for leadership, even though people who were newer than me got to disciple people. um, Again, there's that element of favoritism or, you know, if it was something in my character that needed to be grown, they weren't working on it with me (laughs) or Mm -hmm. telling me that. Um, So, I also think who you study with, like, is kind of picked out uh, in a certain way, and it's not organic, even though Dennis wrote a lovely book about organic discipleship. Um, like, I brought out one of my best friends from high school, and I drove 45 minutes uh, there and back once a week to drive out and get her and bring her to meetings and got her to move into the house and it, it still wasn't good enough for me to disciple her. They put her with somebody else who she just could not stand. And uh, she ended up leaving. And um, so, yeah, those were all just decisions made by home church leaders. Um, I don't, I don't know that sphere leaders could even have time to get involved in each home mm-hmm. church thing like that, you know, but. Yeah. It's, it seems like it's, it's a more like a mechanical Filling of a roster, and that roster is determined by whoever uh, is at the top. 
and you can mm-hmm. determine where you're going to send this person and that person. And as you indicated, there's probably a certain agenda behind all that, who they're, who they're allowing to speak to people and who they're not. And it's, yes. it's send it. And, and you, you know, like I said, you are the one who's putting your heart and soul on the, on the line for this. And it's just so odd that they wouldn't recognize that and, and see you, even though they're so committed to that, that principle of everybody discipling everybody else, everybody one anothering everybody else, that, that they wouldn't let you be there. That's just kind of a really odd thing to be a recruiter for that home church and never going to be part of leadership. That's just so odd. It really is. And, um, I mean, maybe they view that as a bit of Christian discipline in the church ministry, and, and, and that's certainly appropriate. But, uh, uh, I mean, I know of many a ministry in church circles that certainly got a hand and needed direction, even correction at times. But, but, but it seems like your example and what I'm hearing are, are usually, ex- uh, even though they, even though this is what you're hearing, uh, the kind of direction that I've seen that, that needs to be put in place in, in church circles is usually the exception to the overall norm. In Xenos, as well as instead of, of another abusive church, it seems like every day is truly judgment day there. Uh, you can wake up one morning on top of the world and loved by everybody, and by the end of the night, you can be kicked out of a mystery house and everybody turned their back on you. Yep. Yep. Wow. It seems like people would always be on edge then, expecting this hammer. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Xenos just seems to really relish that. I feel like until you've been disciplined for the first time, you're still, you're still on that high mountain, you know, but yeah. once you see the true colors, it kind of doesn't go away. And then, then you're in like a an even harder position, you know, um, cause you see the mask come off and you know, it's there kind of and the doubt. And then, but they're telling you on the other hand that that's Satan. So don't listen <laughs> to that. <laughs> um, but that's when it happened for me, you know, when that first discipline happened about um, when I moved out and they said that I had hurt the girls in the house because I hadn't paid uh, a month's rent that I owed them, <laughs> um, you know, and then they said there were consequences. I couldn't go on the beach trip because now they were going to use my beach trip money to pay the girls because they were counting on that money. And I just, I really hurt them and, uh, you know, I, it was just almost laughable to me because they were telling me that I moved out on July 15th. I paid rent for July 1st. They were telling me I owed rent for August 1st. And I was like, that's not how leases are written. That wasn't the agreement we made. And then Emily, the house leader said, um, no, I know it sounds weird, but I reread the lease and that's what it says. And <laughs> did I just you, did you let you read it? No, um, I, <laughs> I, that's when I said, do you mind if I contact the landlord? Because I was there when we, you know, I was there when we moved into that house. I was an original person on that lease. I know it was not written that way. And, um, so yeah, all it took was a text. I texted Brad and said, you know, if, if I moved out this date, do I owe rent for this date? And he said, no. And, um, I forwarded the text to all the girls who, um, were at the discipline meeting with me and nobody said anything to me. 
after mm-hmm. that about it. No one apologized. No one admitted any wrong. Like for a group that harps on accountability and, you know, confessing and all this stuff, I just thought that was so weird. And I felt like they were, it was just because it was Emily. She was always the one that was favorited in the girls group. And uh, I, they just took her word for it and <laughs> disciplined me. You know, they, they didn't even read the lease. <laughs> like yeah. and those were adults that were with her. Like that, those were the relationships that were the most hurtful were, were those, Good. I think. Yeah. So, was it, was yeah. it at this point that you began to question your involvement or were you, like you said, were you pretty much starry eyed up to that point? <laughs> I was pretty starry eyed. Um, so the year that I dropped out of college, um, I ended up having to have another surgery and I was diagnosed with a um, chronic condition called endometriosis. And um, mm-hmm. I, those two surgeries being 20 years old, I had to move home. Um, you know, even though rent there was pretty cheap, um, it, it's just what I had to do because I had to take so much time off work. and. When I moved out of the house, even though it was purely just, I can't afford this right now, um, the attitudes, and uh, you know, that all of that shifted mm-hmm. <laughs> towards me. It was like all of a sudden I was less serious to them. Yeah. Um, and I was less of an investment. I tried to keep my presence down there. I dragged down to campus, be at that house as much as I could. We had high school girls moving up I wanted to make sure you know I was the pretty bubbly one of the group so I wanted to make sure you know everyone felt welcome and knew that like you know I was moving out but I'm still here I'm not like leaving <laughs> um but yeah they just they kind of dropped me after that um I kept showing up to meetings but it seems like they kept trying to find um something wrong to like to talk to me about and after so many times, I mean, <laughs> I can't believe I stayed as long as I did after that whole incident with the rent thing happened. I stayed for almost <laughs> a whole nother year. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, but, yeah. It, um, yeah. What, what were you saying to yourself? I mean, obviously this, it just obviously had shaken you that you would, these are, I mean, these are your spiritual peers, you know, your mentors who thought would never tell lies to you, who would only speak truth to you, who who you were accountable to. And all of a sudden you're hearing them do some pretty underhanded things and treating you in pretty, uh, just pretty unfair ways. I mean, and, and if you, if you, I mean, I can think I can understand why you persevered another year beyond that because I think everybody with that crisis of faith comes in any movement such as the answer is going to do all they can to try, you know, to, to outlive the storm. And because that, that place still matters to you. I mean, it certainly, it certainly seems to be the, you know, the, the greatest source of involvement you've had in your life. But, but what was it during that whole year? What was it that really kept you going back? I mean, like you said, I can't believe it. Can you, can you think of what, were you, what was your thinking like? What, what was? Why did you keep going back even though you're obviously your experience wasn't lining up with what you felt it should be? Oh, just my whole life was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I when I moved back home, I felt so far away from. Okay. I was like, you know, 15 minute drive from my ministry house, <laughs> but I felt 
the distance because, um, you know, when you're in the ministry house, someone's always home. Someone is always, you know, hanging out with somebody or reading the Bible, whatever. When I was out of that environment, um, I was just missing it, uh, missing like how it used to be, how it used to like feel to me. I think I was like trying to like find that again and put away the, you know, the negative experiences. And, um, but like I said, they just, they kept coming. Like one night I I was at um, the central teaching and it was a teaching I had just listened to that weekend. And I, um, I decided, Oh, I'm going to, um, update the girls on these people I'm bringing out because I'm not living in the house anymore. And I, you know, not communicating as much about, um, my ministry. So I wrote this email to the girls saying, Oh, could you pray for so-and-so? Like, I think they're going to, you know, maybe come and, Oh, I made headway with this, this person. And I got an email back from one of the leaders, um, Amber and, she was just like, um, why would you send this during the central teaching? <laughs> and people during the central teaching, they eat, they drink, they're texting. I mean, what I was sending an email about who I'm evangelizing to is not the craziest thing to happen there. Right. Um, but she just like, oh, the tone in that email was so mean. And then I even responded to her and said, I'm sorry. I, I guess I need to work on my patience. Even though like reading it back today, like very angry that I let someone talk to me like that. <laughs> um, but the fact that I wrote back and I even took responsibility, apologized. And then she responded and said, well, the teaching was about character and we all need to be women of character and like just went on and on and on. Just, um, you know, trying to make me feel awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she didn't have this conversation in person with me after the teaching like she could have. Um, you know, it, it was um, things like that. And uh, my birthday was a few months later. I turned 21 and they started saying I had a drinking problem. So none of them wanted to come celebrate my birthday with me. Um I never had a drinking problem. I like the experience of going out. I never, uh, I don't even drink today because I have autoimmune conditions. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, it just seems like they were trying to find something wrong with me and something to discipline me about. And I just couldn't take it anymore. So, um, yeah, my, my breaking point was um, the uh, the second discipline that I got was um, I tried to, one of the girls living in the house, um, someone told me that they were maybe doing illegal drugs. And I told Emily, the house leader, because I thought that was the right thing to do. <laughs> and um, I, they ended up coming back and disciplining me about that because they said that they asked the person and it wasn't true and that they thought I just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so that's when I'm, and it was weird because at that discipline meeting it was Amber's husband Ben there and Emily it was just those two right and I didn't understand like why Amber wasn't there why it was her husband 
Um, but I said to them, I said, I don't think our church, I mean, our group hasn't grown. We have the same leaders and all the same people from when I was in high school. Meanwhile, other groups are growing like crazy. And I said, if, if that's supposed to be like God working in the group, like something is wrong with ours, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, yeah. um, Ben, according to what, I've been told Ben actually took that to heart and he, he asked Conrad to look into our group. I think is how it happened. And our home church, uh, after I had left was investigated and asked to fold. And so they had to, um, to fold and find new home churches to go to. Um, so. So so when you, you, so when you, okay, so you left, so. You you left quietly. You told a leader, and then you didn't even tell all the the new young women you brought out because you didn't want to impact your experience. So you you thought you did it the right way, according to what you mm-hmm. said. And and yeah. then and then days later, you saw all these women unfriend you on Facebook, and you still lingered a year there afterwards. You said, No, no, no. I was done <laughs> at that point. Yeah, I um. After that second discipline meeting, where I said um, the thing about our group to Ben. It was, I think, the following. Oh, see, okay, week. I got, got yeah, yeah, it. Okay. That's when I left. Yeah. Okay. Um, I told Emily, um, just her. It was just her and me in my car after a central teaching. We drove back to the ministry house together, and um, before she got out of my car, I said, "Hey, I just want to let you know, I, I don't, I think I'm going to take a break." Da da da. Um, and I haven't heard from her since. I mean, she got out of my car, everything seemed fine, and, you know, like, that was it. <laughs> um, and, yeah, the the leaders that were older, the adult women, um, they all unfriended me on Facebook within that month. And, um, you know, no one reached out to me said <laughs> um, anything. So, yeah, I still, to this day, haven't heard from any of those leaders. Yeah. Just simply so because it just ended you, one day. <laughs> yeah, it just simply because yeah, you had you know differences of opinion, you know, and that's um, suddenly they just felt like they just needed to to come down you that way. Wow. Now, what yeah. what was that like? I mean, I mean, what what was that like to you know you know be in such a place like that, and then all of a sudden you know everyone you know just completely disconnects from your life, and you you've put five years, several years of your life into that. I mean, what's what, what does that feel like? It felt pretty crazy because um, I, I just felt like I, I went up so fast and then all of a sudden, like, poof, it was gone. But the relationships to me seemed so real and I just was so angry that um, mm. not a single one of them. I mean, usually when someone leaves, like, yeah, you're not supposed to talk to them. But there's supposed to be someone who is assigned to reaching out to that person so that they are not truly lost or forgotten, whatever. Does it always happen? I don't know. It didn't happen for me. Um, I, I really kind of wish that it had. Um, but, you know, at the same time, if they were just going to reach out and tell me to come back, I'm, I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> but um, I was fortunate enough um, when I was considering leaving two of the guys in the ministry house, um, two of my guy friends had left and, um, 
I mean, I, I talked to people who left. I wasn't really like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know. I just, because I was already feeling so outcasted, I just, we got to talking and we decided, you know what, maybe we could all just be happy and live together. <laughs> so um, the year that I lived with those two guys was just the best year of my life. And I feel like I was able to just kind of decompress from all of that, the Xenos stuff. And, um, right. you know, they, uh, they had been hiding their, um, their sexual orientations and they were able to come out after they left and just felt like, um, finally authentic <laughs> and there was no more people pleasing and all of that. And, um, so that was, I, I was fortunate to have those. I know that some people who leave, they're truly leaving on their own, and um, right. that is really hard. But losing all the girls' relationships was very hurtful for me. But yeah. when they didn't contact me after so long, I just thought, okay, well, I guess, you know, there's other relationships for me out there, and I'm I'm not going to quit trying. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. So with so. Some- what you're saying is, and like you said, you, you finally just couldn't reconcile your experience, what you were seeing, what you were beholding, uh, with the ideal that they filled you full of. You know, they, they're, they're setting, they're setting themselves up as, as a cutting edge, you know, top of the line, you know, uh, Christian ministry that, that certainly had no peer. You know, that, that, that they were at, you know, they, they absolutely positively, uh, were, were, uh, perhaps the, um, the pinnacle of, of God's spirits moving on the earth. And yet when it came right, right down to it, they really just didn't seem a whole lot different than, than other people when it came to just treating you. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me like, you know, like I said, they, uh, in decrying all the churches around them about being these, 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 uh, Fellowships of failure and that, uh, Zenos was certainly, uh, uh, the recovery of, of the Jew and the authentic in, in Christian community. You find out that, that, that their ideals of, of Christian community and, and fellowship are actually quite demeaning, quite demoralizing. Um, and, uh, certainly, uh, and, and, and if you didn't know better, you, you, you'd have left there feeling totally crushed, which certainly sounds to me like, like you felt that way. So. Uh, yeah, and also I want to say too, like I feel like unless you're healthy, they you can't really participate in at least the college group, like what what they expect you to do. Um, so like when I, I don't know, I just noticed that like when I started having issues and getting sick and stuff like that, like I I just wasn't maybe as strong of a worker in their eyes. I don't know. I've heard other stories people who um get sick and uh, get cancer or something and um people start treating them a little less than and um definitely mental health stuff um one of the guys in our group had a suicidal ideation one night and um had to be admitted down the street and you know, after that, I mean, people just, they didn't want anything to do with him. They didn't want to touch it. <laughs> I just thought, what a disservice, you know, yeah. you can't just take healthy people. Um, so yeah, I feel like if you look in their flock, 
you're not going to see a lot of people like me um, who, you know, right. would love to be there, would love to be part of the body of Christ, have a lot to give and, you know, could use a lot of, of healing too. But, um, yeah. you know, we're not there. So Makes you wonder if they didn't just reach you to that part of the Bible where it talks about, you know, rejoicing with those rejoicing, weeping with those who weep, you know, something like they seem to just tear that out and forget that part, you know, because yeah. to me, that's where, that's where the bottom line is. You know, uh, there's, there's an old song that says they'll know we are Christians by our love, you know, and, uh, unfortunately these days, and, you know, it seems like they're, that, that, that song's being re- rewritten and it sounds like the songs now, that I'm hearing people sing and Thomas is, is, is using a tune and, and the lyric, uh, they'll know they are Christians when we judge. I mean, and that's sad. I mean, that's, that's, that's sadder than sad. That, that, that just really breaks my heart to hear because that's I mean, not what the gospel is, is about. It's about loving people and loving them as yourself. That's the bottom dollar according to Jesus. And when that doesn't happen, then something else is going on on there. Not, not Christianity. But some, some, some point of religion that has, that has very, no, has nothing to do with his spirit or with the truth of his word. I mean, and I, I don't care how, how many scriptures you can memorize or how well you can, you can recite, uh, church history or any one of the thousands of different, uh, 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 arrangements of truth that they can make you memorize and, and, and regurgitate on command. As, as, you know, it doesn't matter to me any of that. Uh, the, the Bible says, you know, knowledge, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. That's what it says. It, you can get all, you can know a lot, and yet it can build you up, and it can make you feel like you are so together, and yet the, the biblical standard is that love should lift others up, should be lifting others up without any thought of whether you're, what you, you know. And that's just really, to me, why Xenos is what I believe it to be, is a, is a, is a very dangerous and maybe cultic movement. And that's what I've always, uh, seen it as, as as I've come to read their stuff and so 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 how are you doing now I mean now you've you, you, you've you've had some some good friends who've helped you walk through some you know a very dark time of transition uh how how you how are you doing with it now I mean certainly you've come a long way and you like you said you're having a great life right now with a with a, with a husband and a dog and enjoying a great time so um, what's what's going on with you now? You you feel like uh, you you you've kind of put that behind you. Has it been a transition for you that uh, you've taken some lessons from? Um, I would say about nine years of suppressing it <laughs> entirely, and um, just I don't know, acting like it didn't happen. And then the NBC reports came out, and it was rather triggering um Mm, and um i started i'm married now you know and my husband is uh never been a part of anything like this um so i just was kind of sharing with him um as people were sharing their stories and i was like oh yeah this this was with me too and yep this is how it was and he just couldn't um believe it and then i couldn't believe it all over again yeah um so I started kind of dealing with it. I I think a week before that, though, I had um, attended a church service, the first one on my own of my choosing um, at a church out by where I live. And um, I really liked it. And then when the, the 
all this stuff came out, I wasn't sure if I was ready to be a part of a church again. Um, sure. But I, uh, I have, I have kept going and I'm going to a Bible study for the first time again. And, um, Great. it's, it's just so different. Like, a lot of people there are sick or older and have problems and we love them all the same. And, um, it's a really beautiful thing and they're very accepting of people, all, um, sexuality, gender, anything. And that's, um, you know, we study the Bible and I just think that that's great. And I found something for me. It's just been, you know, trusting, uh, relationships. Uh, trusting the church, trusting God, honestly, um, sure. big trust issues, uh, lasting mm-hmm. from this and, um, emotional, some emotional stuff too. But the first mass I went back to, I think I just, I cried a lot because <laughs> it felt good, but I was also scared. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm at now. I'm, I'm proud that I, I, I went and I found something and I know that it's not Venus <laughs> and my heart is happy that Venus dwell is being exposed. Um, yeah. because lots of people were hurt and it's, um, it's very wrong to me that the leaders, their elders, leaders, everyone, <laughs> um, you know, for the good of the church are uniting and saying, Probably didn't happen unless you can give us a specific, you know, example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And as, as someone who's been, you know, a subject of that abuse, you know, that's something, as I've said, uh, in, in discussing this with them, uh, in the email exchanges, which, which we didn't, of course, uh, um, you know, at any time to bring out, uh, in, in an audio, but, uh, if you go to our website, we, you have, if you've read that, or maybe have or haven't, but, uh, you can see the complete, um, back and forth email exchanges we had with, with Conrad and, 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 uh, and Kate. And, and in those, that's the, that's, that's the very tone they want to hit. They want to say, well, we can't really say anything about that unless we, know who you're talking about unless we have specifics and 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 um what would you say to them about that very thing why why do they need to know an individual person why do you think they would need to know who an individual person is in order to even just respond to what's been said why would they need to do that i i don't know um the thing is i i feel like they have some form of data on at least the people who are being discipled right so um i don't know you either they're just flat out lying um about not knowing or needing to know an example or it's it's just that blanketed we're just going to protect the brand which they've changed recently (laughs) Mm -hmm. um i mean yeah I mean, we rejected that. I mean, when when he, when, he, when I brought that out, I just said, says, we're, we're, says listen, uh, what we did with all these folks we talked to was a form of pastoral counseling in my book. And as a pastoral counselor, I'm not required to tell anybody, anyone, 
uh, under, under the rules of pastoral confidentiality. I mean, and that's what I'm exercising. I, I, I'm, and they'll, they'll, they'll never get the names of these people out of me, uh, because it's not required. And as, as so-called ministers, I would expect them to understand that more than anybody else in, in, in a room after, after all is said and done. Uh, but really, to me, it's a dodge. It's just a way to try mm-hmm. to say, well, we can't really believe you're, you're telling us anything that's true unless we know who's going on. And, and I, and as I said again, and we'll, and we'll say again, you know, listen, I've heard from over 20 different people from 20 different walks of life over, over the span of 20 different, 25 years, all telling the same stories who don't know each other, half of them, and, 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 and telling me the exact same things. So yes, there, there's stuff going on. You just don't want to admit to it. You don't want to even, even entertain the fact that, that yeah, there is something very wrong going on. You don't want to admit to it. So, uh, since I, I just told him I wasn't interested in playing that game. I said, uh, if you don't want to talk about it, then, then I'm not bringing it up. I'm, I'm not exposing anyone and we're, we're not going to do that, uh, because it's really a dodge. And, uh, it's just sad that, um, you know, people who claim to be, you know, spirit led, uh, cutting edge leaders, of of um you know the the most um powerful Christian movement there is in the world simply can't sit down and and tell the truth and 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 deal with the facts they have to they have to somehow get back to and and weasel their way into trying to figure out who they can who they can torment whose names they can dirt they can uh, uh they can uh, um Smear, for lack of a better word. So I, and we were just not playing that. So, so I really, you know, like I said, I, I really appreciate you taking the time, uh, Nina, because it really, I, I'm so grateful that, you know, you've come through this and, and have come to terms with how this impacted you and, and, and your faith. And, you know, and, and as we've shared, you know, I, that's, that's been always our concern. So in terms of, you know, how this experience, you know, really hurts people. And, and, and does it to them in such a way that's most devastating. I mean, you, there's a lot of things you can take away from people. But when you destroy their faith, uh, you just about destroyed them, personally. And, yeah, um, I don't think God would be happy with that. So. Oh, not at all. It's just <laughs> not at all. Uh, not one bit. Uh, so, well, in closing, as, as we get ready to close our podcast, I recognize, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of people from Xenos listening, and, and we welcome you all. Because I know you're there, uh, we see it in our metrics and in, in our in our uh, website in our podcast uh, um, exploration. <laughs> we know there's a lot of people from the area that are listening. So, uh, cons- consequently, I think there might be a lot of your friends or people or family there or th- or folks you know there that you may want to send a message to or, or something you might want to say to them. So, uh, is there something you'd like to say back to them and or, or maybe even to listeners who? Never been in, 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 in Xenos, who you might want to let them know about this group. And, you know, I just will give you a few minutes to just speak from your heart. And, and, and you know, like I said, and it's entirely your floor. Okay. Um, well, I will say that, um, God did give us the gift of free choice and never forget that Xenos and Dwell are not the only way to walk with God, despite what they will tell you. Um, for someone who might be considering leaving, it will feel like the biggest, scariest leap that you've ever taken to walk away from those really strong relationships that you've built. Um, but you will learn to love and laugh and build healthy relationships 
again. Um, I think talking about it with someone or a therapist, a licensed therapist, not some therapist at Xenos dwell, um, (laughs) is how you will actually find healing, um, from, um, the emotional abuse that you've gone through. And, um, I don't know. Uh, I know the church is encouraging dwell members to not listen to any of this. So if, if, uh, any current members are actually listening, um, I just hope you're doing it with an open heart and really just consider, um, actions that have maybe taken place around you if you can't start with your own and, uh, work from there about, um, how there can be changes or maybe the whole thing just uh, isn't working out. And, uh, yeah, I think just seeking professional help. Uh, a lot of people struggle with depression just in our state in general. And mm-hmm. um, this church really mismanages mental illness um, to the point where some people have taken their own lives. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, that's just uh, – just, uh, yeah, the biggest point is, um, this is not worth taking your life over. Um, there is so much more out there and yeah. you don't see it until you leave. <laughs> yeah. uh, for me, I, it was kind of a blessing that I had all those financial issues and I had to move out because I, I did separate a little bit more and more and transition finally into leaving, even though it was never my intention. Um, to leave in the beginning. So I really think that's the only way to get perspective about a different perspective is don't go to meetings four nights a week, you know, um, try just going to one and see if you can still manage your relationships and relationship with God and, um, you know, get out of that structure that they, uh, they keep trying to force on people. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I did this interview just to, um, you know, validate some experiences. And I was really upset when I watched the interview with Conrad and Katie because, um, I was in Conrad's LTC class and up until, uh, this year, <laughs> I had always told my husband as an atheist and I'd always told him, um, if you were to ever go to a Xenos teaching, cause the teachings can be, cool and insightful sometimes I said I would even go I would want to go to one of Conrad's teachings because he is just so gifted and so intelligent and smart and um you know I I'm just really disappointed with how all of this has turned out um yeah what was it about the, the interview with him that really disappointed you uh, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, what was it about uh, that? What, what he said that really uh, kind of, you know, didn't didn't strike true with you? Um, he he seemed really like off. He didn't seem like he was being genuine, being very defensive, um, and like you said, just not wanting to admit anything. And you know, there's like reasons for doing that. Um, I'm sure they can list, but from the person who's watching it's perspective, it, it seems like, yeah, man, it looks like you got a, a lot to hide <laughs> and that's not the guy that I, I knew. And, um, 
hearing him say that, you know, he doesn't care about what people do with their finances and that meeting attendance isn't required. Um, I had to give the church a monthly payment, like gives on a monthly basis in order to even qualify to be in Conrad's class. Like these things were required. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it almost just felt like apply and um, I don't know. I've been out of it for 10 years, so I don't know what, what all has changed, but um doesn't seem like a lot to me. So yeah. that's mostly what bothered me. Okay, so seeing a man you respect, it would sound more and more like an organizational guy. Yeah, and knowing that, you know, nothing has changed structurally, so they carry on, people carry on with, you know, leaving and being excommunicated, and then you know, this guy who moved up and is now, he's not just a fear leader anymore. He's the main pastor there, took over for Dennis, as I understand it. Not, doesn't seem to be making any changes, except they changed the name and rebranded it. So, um, hearing them say that, um, and I don't know that it was him that wrote this statement, but I read a statement um, about the name change saying that nothing in Dwell was changing about the structure. It was just the name. Mm. And um, that really bothered me, too. <laughs> yeah. Why change the name? What are we changing? I mean, mm. right. if something mm. wasn't working or they didn't mention it was because of being associated with being a cult or anything like that. So. Mm-hmm. And therein lies the tale. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot more they could say about that, but of course it's only going to be the, the party line. And we understand that. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, they'll just say, oh, Xenos was hard to pronounce, so. You know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Well, it's maybe hard to pronounce, but it's certainly becoming increasingly hard to stomach in Columbus. Uh, I think they're getting a lot more press than they've ever gotten before. And, it's, and I think this time it's going to be sustained. I mean, I think they've had problems in the past. They've had, they've weathered a few moments of bad press. They've moved on. But, uh, I think they're, they're, they've awakened the proverbial sleeping giant and filled him with a terrible resolve, uh, to quote yeah. a Japanese warlord. So we're not tr- trying to be Japanese warlords. We're just trying to be concerned people speaking truth to power. And I, and I appreciate Nina, you providing a voice to that. And I thank you so much for, for, for calling. And, uh, I, and, and thank you so much once again for participating with us tonight. Yeah, thank you so much for, for doing this, giving all of us um, a little bit more of a voice. So, thank you. Absolutely, and we look forward to more of them. Thanks. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened, and if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night, or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.